Welcome to the Forerunner Church Podcast, where we highlight key messages and themes related to the body of Christ, inviting you to connect with our spiritual family as we grow in passion for Jesus and compassion for people. For more information, visit forerunnerchurch.com. Go ahead and look at your teaching notes uh, for this morning. The message is entitled, God's Desire to Increase a Spirit of Prophecy on the Church. The Lord wants to release and give more prophetic revelation and increase the activity of the Holy Spirit, and we want that here and many other places are contending for the increased activity of the Holy Spirit, and we want to see that more and more. In a little bit, I'm going to share a dream that I had uh, during the fast that I believe the Lord is, is emphasizing uh, to us, and uh, I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for these, this 21-day fast and the completion of it and the joy of it being over, the Lord, the sobriety of what it means that you're stirring up intercession for Israel across the earth and the conversation is increasing more and more related to your purposes for the Jewish people, the city of Jerusalem. We ask you, Lord, that you would give us wisdom in this hour and that we would walk in a spirit of tenderness, humility, love for Jesus would abound. We love you, Lord, in your name, amen. The... Scripture teaches us that in the last days, there's going to be a context that emerges that is going to lead to a great falling away from the faith, a great departure from the faith. There's going to be false prophets that emerge, and through their messaging and through their influence, they're going to lead people astray. And it's important to note that those that are giving in to this spirit of deception that is going to increase, I believe that we're in those days and those days are already increasing, but it's important to know that these people were once in the faith and they were once loving Jesus and had a relationship with him. They were not halfway believers. They were not fake believers just attending church. Paul makes it very clear to Timothy right here that they are departing from the faith, meaning they were in the faith. There is a deception that is growing and increasing through the mouths of lots of different avenues and streams that will cause people to be deceived, to agree with sin, and through that agreement with sin... Their hearts will enter into a spirit of deception more and more. They will walk away and abandon the word of God. They will abandon their loyalty to Jesus. Even though they may claim loyalty to Jesus, ultimately they are not loyal to Jesus because they are not loyal to the full teaching of the word of God. These false prophets that are going to emerge, they're not just false prophets Maybe in the way that we would think about it, like they've got a business card, here I'm a prophet, and then they turn out to be false. They're messengers, they're influencers, 
And what they're doing is they're using their voice to lead people away from loyalty to Jesus and the word of God, but they don't even know it. I don't think most of them are even conscious that they're operating in a spirit of false prophecy or deception, meaning they're not intentionally trying to do it, and many of them probably believe that they're actually serving God and serving his purposes. That's what makes it so deceiving. They believe that they're honoring God. They believe that they're honoring their definition of what it means to love like Jesus loved. And through their message and influence, people are being led into more spiritual compromise, more spiritual dullness, and it's stacking up. And people are more and more comfortable with sin and compromise in their own lives. And they're not calling people to repentance and holiness. But I I would see that the vast majority of them don't even believe that they're doing that. There might be some before the day of the Lord that truly know what they're doing. But I think that most people are doing it just out of a, a, a spirit of blindness, at least initially. The spirit is gonna safeguard believers, paragraph B. He's gonna safeguard those who remain faithful and obedient to the word of God. What do I mean by safeguard? It means that they are safe and secure through the blood of Jesus in inheriting eternal life and being pleasing to the Lord. That's what we want at the end of the day. It's not about making people happy. It's not about appeasing people. It's not about impressing people in our church communities. It is about making the Lord happy and honoring his word and standing before him without shame and reproach in the day of, that we stand before him at the judgment seat. This is what our life has to be about. We are very easily influenced by the opinion of people around us, the people that we like the most or want, we want this group or this individual to like us and we are very swayed by their opinion in our lives and in our behaviors and the Lord is calling his people into a place of confidence and boldness and going, this is about me. You give an account to me at the end of the day. You don't give an account to IHOP. You don't give an account to Mike Bickle. You don't give an account to me or any other leader on our missions base. You give an account before Jesus. This is very serious and sobering reality. And so this is not about going with the flow of whatever the message is of our tribe or our spiritual community or we're a part of this body of Christ that really emphasizes these particular messages. It's not about just going with the flow. It is about having a sense and understanding of the whole counsel of God and realizing that our lives are evaluated according to this, not according to man or teaching or some fad or trend that's going on in the culture. Jesus said of himself in John 14 that he is the truth. The Lord is going to safeguard those that have a love of the truth. But the truth is not just a list of ideas or doctrines. The truth is a man. It's a person. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so if a message doesn't lead people to Jesus, 
It may be a false message, but our message, our life, the, the testimony of our lives, it must, at the end of the day, lead our hearts and lead those that we are influencing into the heart of Jesus, and no more and no less. And again, not just a part of the heart of Jesus, like some want to overemphasize his heart of compassion and mercy, but they want to minimize his heart of justice and holiness. We have to go into the full heart of Christ. We have to drink the metaphorical full cup of who he is and not be embarrassed by his teaching and by his ways in order to stand before him as faithful servants. This is not about a popularity contest. This is not just trying to present the gospel in a way that gets people real comfortable hearing it so that they pray the sinner's prayer and then, yes, we got them, they're in. Jesus said in Luke 14, he said, if you wanna be my disciple, you have to count the cost. You need to know what it is that you're saying yes to. We don't have to trick people into the gospel. We don't have to water it down to make it real appealing to people so that we kind of get them in the door and then we kind of figure it out along the way. Jesus said, it's okay, Luke 14, count the cost. Tell people what they're really signing up for. Tell people that they really are surrendering their life entirely to Jesus and his leadership. They're already surrendered to their own passions and many, most people are serving demons and they don't even know it. So they're already surrendered. So it's just switching our allegiance from I'm serving carnal pleasures that's creating demonic influence in my life to I'm serving Jesus who created me, who fashioned me and has my best intentions in mind and has the way of everlasting life and joy in front of me. But we need to stop this idea that we're going to make the gospel so palatable that the door is going to be wide. The Lord said the way is narrow. He, he just did. And we don't have to be ashamed of that. We don't have to use that as a weapon, but we can tell people the truth. Hey, I'm not just trying to get into some argument with someone on a street corner and have all the answers for all of their doubts so that I could get them to pray the sinner's prayer right there. That's not, the, that's not quite what it means to fulfill the Great Commission and make a disciple. A disciple has an understanding of who it is that they're about to follow. The biblical model for discipleship was that the rabbi would come and then the student would choose the rabbi that they were going to follow and give their whole life to. So they had a basic understanding of who that rabbi was and what they stood for and what they would teach. They weren't just figuring out on the way, now they're 50 miles from their house and they're like, you just said what? What in the world is going on here? Though undoubtedly there are surprises in our walk with the Lord, but anyways, I'm a little off track here. Okay, 2 Thessalonians 2, Paul says that earlier in the chapter, he says there's a great falling away that's coming, and there's going to be the increase of deception. And deception is hard because there's always a little bit of truth in the mix. That's what makes it deceptive. It's not a complete bold-faced lie. It's that there's enough truth mixed in to make it enticing. It's like rat poison. You don't poison a rat with just a block of poison. 
you mix the poison in with something that the rat wants in order to trick it into consuming it, and inevitably that leads to the death, but we don't really like rats anyway. Okay. Why are they deceived? Because they did not receive the love of the truth. And this is about love of Jesus and loyalty to his ways. It's about understanding his heart and his teaching and not being ashamed of it. He really said some challenging things to our flesh. And we can embrace those. We don't have to explain them away. There really is hell and torment and eternal suffering for those that do not put their faith and trust in him. There really is. There really is trouble that is coming in the nations of the earth. There really is increasing darkness. There really is a risk and a threat of falling away from the faith and being ensnared in evil. Those things are real. And we don't have to be embarrassed or ashamed of those things. But we need to teach and understand the whole counsel of God. Now, paragraph C. In the generation of the Lord's return, he's going to pour out a spirit of prophecy on every believer. In the upper room in Acts chapter 2, the Lord poured out at Pentecost his spirit on 120. And just through that 120, the gospel has gone forth, I mean, to just the most out-of-the-way places like Grandview, Missouri. We're sitting here today because of the witness, the faithful witness of 120 people that operated in a spirit of prophecy and power. And the Lord says, before my coming, before the great and awesome day of the Lord, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. He says, there's going to be the increase of a spirit of prophecy and dreams and visions and signs and wonders that's going to be unlike anything that you've seen throughout all of church history, because it's going to take those unique moments where the power of God is released. It's going to multiply it across a global scale. Our children are going to prophesy with accuracy and power, a spirit of conviction on them. They're going to see the dead raised. They're going to see blind eyes open, cancer fall off bodies, weather patterns change, signs, wonders in the heavens that no one could predict, but they predict them under a spirit of prophecy. Where this thing is going is way beyond what most of us are thinking or connecting with. And I want to challenge us to get a vision for a spirit of prophecy that is Elijah, Jesus, the early church, Moses, plus one, plus ten. Jesus said of his own works, he says, greater works than my own works you will do. Greater works than Jesus himself. What's greater than raising the dead, walking on water, feeding 5,000, feeding 4,000, Casting demons out of people, seeing lepers healed, seeing the blind have sight. I mean, the Lord is going to increase the anointing upon his people in such a profound way. We need to not minimize the increase of prophecy to just getting more accurate prophetic words that wow people. That is really good. And I like that. And I want to see more of that. But where the anointing and the spirit of prophecy is going in the days ahead is so far beyond that. But here's the most important thing. Let me tell you why. 
because a lot of people want the increase of the anointing and the spirit of prophecy because their lives in God are boring. Let's just be honest. We want to see more stuff because we're tired of boring meetings. We're tired of praying for someone that's sick and they don't get healed. We're tired of our sick aunt that's battling some illness and we're praying for her and we're like, I'm contending for you and then, and then they don't get healed. Our lives, we're living spiritually dull and boring. But the Lord isn't mostly about getting our life to be more exciting. He's not just trying to jazz up the soup pot of life and Christian business as usual. The Lord wants an exclamation point at the end of the gospel of the kingdom that is gonna go forth in a very unique hour of human history. He wants it to be undeniable. He wants the witness of his church that Jesus Christ is the son of God He's the son of man, and he's coming again in power and glory to rule the nations of the earth. You have to repent. You must come under his authority. You must turn away from ungodliness. You must put your trust in him. And the Lord wants that message so undeniable, so underscored, that he's like, I'm going to release power on every believer across the earth like we've never seen before. The point is that the power The point is the message that directs people into the heart of Jesus. That's the point. So the Lord releases power in a commensurate measure that he wants the message to be released in power so that the hearts turn to God in the deepest way possible. The Lord is going to multiply the activity of the Spirit. As a great witness to the gospel, they go hand in hand. So this idea that prophecy is just for, to make things more exciting. So let's get some prophets going so that more people come to our meetings, so that our ministries grow or our school grows or our community grows or whatever. That's not quite the idea. The Lord wants to release it because he wants the message to be undeniable so that when the person gets healed from their sickness, they go, what was that guy talking about? What was that young girl talking? They were talking about Jesus and they know him in a deep way. And so they go back and they listen to the message and they respond at the heart level. The heart level response to the word of God is greater than any miracle sign or wonder that touches our natural bodies. There were people in Israel at the time of Jesus that were healed by him, that were fed by him, that heard his teaching, but their heart did not respond. So the power isn't in the sign, the wonder, and the miracle. The power is in the heart converting and turning to God in repentance and humility. That's what we need. And that is one of the things that seems to be lacking in so many places, and the Lord is going to change that because he's going to bring in a great harvest. He's going to bring in the next generation. He is going to anoint the gospel with power, but he doesn't want to bring those people into churches where everybody is just worshiping the power of God. He wants to bring them into churches where they're worshiping God. And it is very different to worship God than it is to worship the power of God. It's very different to have intimacy with Jesus than to be fed bread by Jesus in his miracle working power. Two completely different things. And one is far greater than the other. 
And the greatest miracle that we're going to see and we are seeing is people come to the faith in Christ and become a new creation in him. That's what we want. And that's what God wants. Micah 7 verse 15 says that as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I'm going to show you wonders. Just like he did in the book of Exodus. I mean wonders, but not just in Egypt and Goshen and where the Hebrews were at that particular time. He's going to do it across the nations of the earth. Wonders of that magnitude. Those those plagues, those wonders, those signs that they saw in that generation were, I mean, profound. And the Lord says, I'm going to do that again before the day of my coming. Because I want to awaken the nations. I want to remove any doubt that I am the Lord of heaven. And these, this, the church, they are my people. And I am going to deliver them. And I'm going to anoint their message and their lives with my power in a way that is undeniable to the whole earth. On May 11th, <clears throat> excuse me, during the fast, I had a dream. I believe that it's important. In the dream, I'm examining a hand, and I look at the pointer finger, and I notice what appears to be this cyst or this infection. I begin pushing on it. And out of this cyst begins to come this white parasite. I thought it was this really small infection but I, as I began to extract this parasite, I, I began to realize the severity of the infection and how this parasite, you know, had this life of its own. It was living inside of this finger, inside of this hand. And at the end of the, by the end of the dream, I'm able to pull out this white parasite. It looks like a snake or something. It didn't look like a snake, but it was like the length of a snake. And I'm so grossed out by it. It's disgusting, horrible. I'm like, oh, that was in there and I didn't even know. And what I thought was a small infection turned out to be this thing that was feeding on the body and living inside. And I had no knowledge and no awareness of it at all. I wake up from the dream and immediately I begin talking to the Lord and, and having this strong sense that, the finger represents the prophetic ministry and the operation of the prophetic spirit through the body of Christ. And there's a long reason why, but the five fingers being the five offices, the apostle, prophet, et cetera, et cetera, and the hand representing the body, that the, the five offices that Paul talks about in Ephesians 4 give life to the body. The ministry of the prophetic and the operation of the Holy Spirit is not to be reduced to what we think of when we think of the prophetic ministry. It's not the prophetic rooms and us giving words of encouragement and that type of thing to another. It has to do with a broader vision. It has to do with what the prophets talked about in terms of the prophetic message to a generation and it being infected with a parasite that is living off of the body, not feeding it not fueling it. As I talked to the Lord that next morning, immediately this phrase came to me and I sensed that it was from the Holy Spirit. It said, the prophetic ministry is supposed to feed my people, but it's fed on my people like a parasite. There's an infection 
in the intent. There's an affection in the message. It's not the complete message. It's not a message that brings wholeness and life and nutrients, spiritual nutrients to strengthen the body of Christ, but rather it's a position that's pulling the resources out of the body for their own gain. Hosea 4 verse 8, I don't have it written in the notes. Hosea 4 verse 8 says that they feed on the sin of my people. We're going to look at Jeremiah 23 in a moment. And what was happening was that the false prophets in the land, these false messengers, and again, they're not just proclaiming to be prophets. In our context, it's anyone that's trying to give insight and comfort and direction to where the trajectory of all this is headed. They are feeding upon the sins of the people. And they're giving a message That is not the full message of God. It has a little bit of truth in it, but it is diluted down. And so as they give this message, the vast majority of the people that are hearing it, it's resonating with them. They want that message. The Bible says that in the last days, they'll heap up teachers because they have itching ears. They want to hear a particular message and they don't want to hear another message. And so as the people are hearing this message, they're giving resources and helping this message to be multiplied. They're feeding it. They're feeding this false spirit that is operating. And the Lord is deeply committed to delivering all of us, to delivering me. I'm not above this. I have to take this before the Lord in my own soul, in my own heart, and examine My motives, we all do. So this isn't about pointing out the group that we don't like or pointing out some other ministry or some other person or some other person with a platform and saying, boo them. This is first about us searching our own hearts before the Lord. Saying, Lord, am I backing down from the full measure of truth in your word for the hour into which we are headed? The primary message, I believe, paragraph C, is that the Lord is committed to delivering the body of Christ from this infection of a false message. Part of the church's spiritual lukewarmness, Revelation 3.16, is because of her compromised message. But it's not just the leaders that are saying the message, it's the people that are not challenging the leaders and continuing to leave them and and resource them and empower them to continue to say that message. So everyone is culpable in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord is profoundly committed to shepherd his people in the difficult and glorious days ahead. Beloved, the hour in which we live now is harder than 10 years ago. It's harder on our children It's harder to stay steady in the faith. It's harder to be outspoken about the gospel. We have to see the increase of pressure that is coming decade after decade. That's the pattern. Isaiah 60 says it, that there will be deep darkness that covers the earth, but the Lord is going to arise. He has an answer for that hour of darkness for those that would have ears to hear. The Lord's going to raise up shepherds. And these shepherds 
they're not going to minimize the message and they're not going to exaggerate the message. And most people are tempted to minimize the message, to kind of soften it, to kind of dance around the call to repentance and obedience and living completely surrendered to the Lord. For example, living completely surrendered with where our money is being used and where our time is being used and the way our sexuality is being expressed, living completely surrendered in the way that our power or influence is being used to the Lord. And we are more prone to minimize it than actually to overdo it, but the Lord says, I don't want you to overdo it either. I don't want you to add something to what I'm not saying and emphasizing, and I certainly don't want you to undercut and minimize it. And that is the temptation that every believer is under, and particularly those that have any sort of influence that are leaders in the body of Christ, whether it's five people or 5,000 people. The Lord says in Jeremiah 3, verse 15, he says, I'm gonna give you shepherds according to my heart. The Lord is gonna give them. It's his gift to the body of Christ in an increased hour of trouble and darkness. He says, I have a gift for you. He says, I'm gonna raise up shepherds and they're after my heart. They're not after you, they're after me. That's the difference between a shepherd and a hireling. A hireling is after the sheep. They want the benefits of the sheep. But when trouble comes, the hireling runs away. The Lord says, I'm gonna give you shepherds. I'm gonna raise up leaders, men and women, multi-ethnic, multi-generation. They're gonna be young, they're gonna be old, they're gonna be all across the earth. They are after my heart. They are loyal to me. Sometimes you're not gonna like what they say. Other times you will. But they are committed to me and they are not going to be blown by the pressure of the culture and by popular opinion. The best leaders in the Bible said things that upset the people that they followed and they said them pretty consistently actually. Have you ever read the life of Moses? One of the greatest leaders, one of the most humble. I mean, they wanted to get rid of Moses every other day. And the point isn't, oh, let's be harder and more firm. That's not the point at all. The point is to become deeply loyal to Jesus and to say what he says and to do what he's doing, whether it's popular or not, whether it's received or not, whether it's offensive or not. That's what Jesus did. He said, I only do the will of my father. Even Jesus, the God man, lived under the authority of another. And we must do the same. The Lord is the great shepherd. We know that Psalm 23. I mean, he is the ultimate shepherd. He knows exactly how to get the sheep and the flock to where they need to be in the right time, protected from evil, protected from harm. The sheep don't understand the leadership of God. I would, I'm sure that many of you, the way that God has led you has not been the path that you would have chosen for the last 30 years, 50 years of your life. That, but we're not the shepherd. God is the shepherd. We're following him. <laughs> we don't understand it. We could complain, which we do. We could gripe about it, which we're good at. But at the end of the day, 
his manifold wisdom, he, he keeps us out of so many traps and pitfalls and so many ways in which we would back down from truth and lose our way in God. And he goes, the harder way is actually often the way that I'll lead you, but it's on purpose. I'm a really good leader. King David was a man that was called a man after God's own heart. This was said of David in his early years. The Lord said, I found a man after my own heart. And even more profound is that it was said at the end of his life, even after David had made all those mistakes, even after he had conspired for murder and committed adultery and fallen into unbelief. and I mean, horrible things that happened through David's leadership. What made David successful wasn't that he always had the right answer in the moment. It's that he was a man committed to the heart of God. And he was willing to withstand the pressure that came through King Saul, that came through his own wife, that came from his own brothers and his own family. He wasn't just withstanding the pressure from the enemies out there like the Philistines. He was withstanding the pressure because he goes, at the end of the day, I'm after the heart of God. I don't answer to King Saul. And I don't answer to my family. And I don't answer to my wife when it comes to loyalty to Jesus. He says, I'm a man after God's heart. And he wasn't just doing it because he was a man of principle. He was doing it because he was a man that was obsessed with the beauty of God and passion for Jesus. He was a man that was wildly in love. And you couldn't talk King David out of his love for God and his loyalty to God because it was about his heart was deeply connected to Jesus's. He was so connected to God that he could stand the storms of, of pressure and, and uncertainty and unfulfilled promises and delayed promises and setback and he gets the kingdom and then Absalom takes the kingdom and all of it, throughout all of it, David says, there's only one dream of my heart. I want to gaze at the beauty of God. I'm in this for him. I'm not in this for a kingdom. I'm not in this for a reputation. I'm not in this to be known as some anointed psalmist or a great leader or a diplomat or some wealthy man. I'm not in it for any of that. I'm in it for the heart of God. And that's where I'm placing my stake in the ground. That's the hill I'm gonna die on. And the beauty of that is that David could never lose that. That could never be taken from him. The very thing that David wanted most could never be taken from him. What about you? What is the thing that you want most, that you long for most? Can it be taken by another person from you? Because if it can, perhaps it's not rooted in the age to come, but it's rooted in the temporary, and it's rooted in the fading. It's rooted in the rust and the decay of this life, and the Lord wants to raise up men and women of courage and stature who are Bold, they don't have to be loud, but they're bold. They won't back down. I'm in this for the heart of God. I'll say what he says. I'll say, eat my flesh, drink my blood. I'll say the hard things that, that Jesus said, that the prophet said. And when resistance comes, it's not because people are so mad at you and you did it in the wrong way. And if you had just, you know, 
turn the air conditioner on. It would have been so better and more received. It's not that. It's that the human heart at the end of the day, they have a massive problem with God's leadership. They don't want to go the way of God, the vast majority. Now, many of them will, and there's a great harvest coming. There's a great influx of souls that's going to come prior to the day of the Lord. But beloved, the vast majority, the Bible says, broad is the way of destruction. We're not in this to win a popularity contest. We're in this in love and humility and meekness to display the greatness of Christ through our life, to resist sin to the point of bloodshed, to lay down our lives for the sake of the gospel. That's what we're in this thing for. There is an invitation to grow in the Davidic vision of leadership and messaging because it's rooted in the emotions of God, in the beauty of God, in the songs of God. The very things that people cannot take away from us. We have to raise up a generation that knows that the spirit of prophecy and the power of God is ultimately about deepening intimacy with Jesus. If it doesn't deepen intimacy with Jesus, it's all for naught. That's what we need. That is the rarest thing in the earth. That's the first and the greatest commandment. Jesus says, you know what I want more than anything? I want my people to love me with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind. Because that's how I love them. That's how I love my people. Fully. Completely. All the way to the cross. All the way into the grave. And then out again that is the measure of my love and my commitment and my, my loyalty to the human family. He says, I want a bride that's raised up and he's gonna have it. I want a bride that loves me like I love her. All the way, all the way, regardless of the afflictions of this life, the persecutions, the pain, the anguish, the trauma, the setbacks, the mistreatment, all the horrible things that the human family experiences, they endure to the very end. They go the way of the cross because our life doesn't end here. We live for billions of years in the glory, in the joy of our Father and God. We haven't yet begun to live. I look out across our beautiful saints with gray hair and white hair, And even though you're young, or excuse me, even though you're old, you're still young. You ain't even a billion yet. (laughs) I love it. Anyways. Shepherds must convey a message that produces wholehearted love in the midst of people. That doesn't only come through a message of just positivity and blessing. It comes through challenge. It's a two-edged sword that pierces our soul and our spirit and divides between our flesh and our spirit man. It's a challenge. Jesus himself said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. I came to set fire to the earth. I came to produce something out of the frail, fallen human family that is holy and blameless and can stand in the presence of my Father. That's what I came for. I came to draw you out of deep waters. I came to pluck you as brands out of the fire. I came to make you something that you cannot be on your own, holy and righteous 
even as righteous as my father himself. Go to page three. Jeremiah prophesied that before the coming of the Lord, there would be a similar context that would emerge that he faced. And Jeremiah was raised up as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord says, I'm going to put my words in your mouth, Jeremiah. And here's the thing. Jeremiah begins prophesying. And then what's the reaction? Well, we're going to raise up our own message and our own narrative because we don't like Jeremiah's way. We don't like his message. We don't like the call to repentance and holiness. We don't like that there would be correction and discipline on the line, that there's an accountability for what we do. So what do they do? They begin to foster the false prophets in the land, and they begin to listen to them, and they begin to celebrate them and fund them and resource them. And here it is, the parasite within God's people, and the Lord says, I'm going to extract that, Jeremiah 15. I am going to extract the precious from the vile because I want you to be my mouthpiece. And when you speak, I want it to be the words of God. I don't want it to be your opinion. I don't want it to be your narrative. I want it to be my narrative. That's what the Lord is saying. Jeremiah prophesied that in the latter days, We would understand it perfectly. What would we understand? We would understand his judgments, his correction of the nations, his correction of the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. We would understand them, and we would understand that there will be false prophets that would arise in that day, just like Jeremiah's day, to lead many astray. They didn't want Jeremiah's message. Jeremiah's message was the only message in that day that would produce humility and righteousness in the heart of God's people and stay the hand of judgment that the Lord was raising up through the Babylonians. But they rejected it. They began to speak a vision of their own heart, Jeremiah 23, 16 and 17. Because of their own carnal desires, they began to weave into the narrative of God things that appeased the people that they were speaking to. They were not challenging them. They were appeasing them. And we see that their message was accordance with their own heart and accordance with the dictates of their own heart. And they were telling the people there is no evil. What does that mean? That means that there is no accountability for what you do. Our God is all forgiving. Our God is going to deliver us from every power. Our God will deliver us from Babylon. He's already done it so many times in the past. And Jeremiah says, you must repent Yes, there is a God of deliverance, but that God is waiting on you. He's calling you. He is drawing you into his holy love and his zeal, and you must respond. False prophecy at its core, paragraph D, it exploits the unredeemed human heart that loves itself. That's about self-preservation That's about self-expression. That's about self, me, me, me. And the gospel of Christ, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, saves us from ourselves. It brings us out of serving a master and an appetite that we can never appease anyway. It delivers and shatters people out of their own slavery out of their own selfish desires, and it roots them in an eternal age. That is the age to come with Christ. 
the false prophetic message gives license to self. It says, what are your desires? What is it that you want? We'll craft a message using some of the language of the Bible so that you could get what you want and still go to sleep with a guilt-free conscience because we told you that you don't have to be guilty. It crafts a narrative. I'm telling you, in our prevailing culture, there are narratives being crafted, taking the word of God, taking a misunderstanding of his justice and his holiness and his love and manipulating it and twisting it. Why? Because at the end of the day, the human heart loves itself. It's its own idol. It worships itself. And God wants to break people free of that. Paragraph E, we get more attention. We get more applause. We get more clicks when we only say the positive things. When we only say the positive things about What's going on in the body of Christ? What's going on with us? What's going on with our spiritual condition? What's going on with the nation of Israel? What's going on with the nations of the earth? There is more attention in toxic positivity than any other message out there. And there are positive things that the Lord has sworn and that he will accomplish according to, but they're on his terms, not on our terms. And there is a message of serious, sobering correction and judgment and holiness that is lacking in so many places. It's called the fear of the Lord. And people would rather capitulate to the opinion of others, to the way of others. Well, I don't want to get into trouble, so I'm I'm really going to kind of doubt. Well, I don't want to be really forthright with my friend who's in sin I don't want to offend them because then they're going to get mad at me and then they're going to get mad at the church. Then they'll really fall away. Beloved, they've probably already fallen away. You need to speak the truth in love. You need to do it in a spirit of tenderness and humility. You need to speak the truth. You need to tell them that they are on the path of destruction. Don't wait another day. How unjust is it to tell people a message like you're only getting better, but they actually have cancer. They have a spiritual cancer inside of them. Beloved, that is not love at all. That is injustice. That is spiritual malpractice. And the Lord wants to help us. Last page. Jeremiah 23, the Lord tells Jeremiah, if they had stood in my counsel and caused people to hear my words, then they would have turned them from their evil way. That's the most important thing right there. That our message helps to turn people from evil. We want people to turn from evil because God is good and the giver of life and the giver of eternal life. And he's the prince of peace, and he's the God that's filled with joy and gladness and delight, and he satisfies the human heart unlike anything else does. Turn them from their evil way. Get into my counsel. This isn't mostly about let's have strange, you know, spiritual experience. I'm trying to get in the counsel of the Lord, and so I'm gonna light some candles and, you know, whatever, and that's okay to Try and get to the counsel of the Lord, wherever that is, whatever that means. But at the end of the day, standing in the counsel of the Lord is about being faithful to his word and calling other people to it so they turn away from evil. The Lord goes, I want to spare you. I want to spare you from pain and anguish and death. 
that you're walking towards right now because you only have a message of peace and safety and destruction and challenge and tribulation is coming. This is how Ezekiel describes it. Brenton, go ahead and come out, worship team. Ezekiel describes it right here. The prophetic spirit, the prophetic ministry operating in the church, it's to do this. You have not gone up into the gaps to build a wall for the house of Israel to stand in battle in the day of the Lord. The prophetic ministry, the message that's released through the body of Christ is about finding the gaps of sin and compromise and evil in our midst and building a wall there, closing the gap, turning to Christ, pleading the blood of Jesus, getting sober, getting accountability, repenting of our pride, repenting of our covetousness, turning to God all the way in every area of our life. Why? So that a wall is built up. So when the floods of ungodliness come in, there is a standard. There is a courageous people shining like beacons of light and hope in a very dark hour that is ever increasing even in our day. Let's go ahead and stand. Lord, help us and give us wisdom and discernment, Lord, to remove and pull out the precious from the vile, to turn away from lesser loves, to turn away from sin and compromise, to have courage in this hour. You want to raise up mouthpieces, Lord. Many in this room, many that are listening online, the Lord has called you to be a mouthpiece. So here we are, Lord, help us. Help us by your grace. We only get there by the grace of God. We only get there, Lord, by your power operating in our life. We want that. We want more of that. Help us, Lord. Give us courage to face those areas in our own lives. Give us courage to look sin, to look our own sin in the face and to say, forgive me, God. Wash me clean. Make me whiter than the snow. Your righteousness, Lord, let it be my righteousness. Show me mercy. Have mercy, God, on me. Have mercy on my family. Have mercy on my children. Have mercy on my friends. Have mercy, God, in this hour. We want your mercy. Thank you for tuning in to Sunday Sermon. For more information, service times, and free teaching resources, visit forerunnerchurch.com.